So today we're starting a new section of the Sermon on the Mount. Section is about living out our righteousness in the right ways. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 of Matthew chapter 6. The first verse of this section actually introduces what's going to follow, not just today, but for the next couple of weeks. So let's read it together here. First of all, Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Jesus is preaching and giving his message. It's really well laid out. When you start to study it, you find out, man, Jesus knew what he was doing. (laughs) Surprise, surprise, you know. (laughs) He knew what he was doing. He had it all laid out. And it really kind of falls right into place when you start to study this. Anyway, I had a good time studying it. I had a lot of time studying it. And uh, God did a lot of things in my life. Let's read Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That introduces this whole section, uh, basically the whole chapter 6. Verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So probably some of you know that I volunteer with the guys that meet with 70 times 7 up here on Thursday mornings. and. a while back, one of those Thursday mornings, as we started out with a little bit of Bible study. We started out with our Bible study, and we were talking about righteousness. And one of the participants spoke up and said, what's righteousness? And we kind of stumbled around a little bit, trying to come up with a definition off the top of our head. And uh, we came up with something, I think, that satisfied the need at that point. But I've been praying about that and thinking about it. How do I re- define righteousness in a simple term? That's what Jesus is talking about here, practicing our righteousness. Okay, we've got to know what righteousness is before we can go on any further. Here's what I came up with. Probably won't satisfy a lot of theologians, but it works for me. Uh, <clears throat> I think that being and doing right so that our whole life is pleasing to God. I think that's kind of what we hit on that Thursday. Righteousness is being and doing right. That's what being is what's in our heart. Doing, of course, is our actions. So in our heart, what do we got? We got our, oh, our thoughts, our, I'm getting lost here. Our beliefs, our motives, our intentions, things like that. I don't know if you can remember way back to November when Chris was preaching back in November. Um, He went through Matthew 5, and we got down to verses 17 through 20. He talked about how Jesus said he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he made that striking statement in verse 20. In Matthew 5, verse 20, he said, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about righteousness, same thing we're going into studying here today, and saying, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. I remember Chris saying, these were the good guys. 
These were the guys that everybody looked up to. They were the examples that everybody followed. But their lives were filled with lots of excellent actions. But So they had the doing part down. But their hearts were wrong. Their hearts were wrong. You go to Matthew 23, verse 20, I think it is. And it says, Jesus says to them, your hearts are full of lawlessness and wrongdoing, you know. So they had the doing part, but they didn't have the heart part, the being part. So that's why Jesus said they would not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Recently, we had a conversation with someone who was talking to us about Islam and telling us that in Islam, they say that God up there, he's got this great big balance beam, this big scale. And on the day of judgment, he's going to put our good deeds on one side and the bad on the other. I remember when we were in Africa, people telling us that. There's an angel sitting on one shoulder, writing out all your good deeds. And there's an angel on the other shoulder, writing out all your bad deeds, keeping track of them. So at the day of judgment, they can balance them off. You ever hear something like that? We hear it around here pretty regularly. People that think that their good deeds are going to balance off their bad deeds. Well, when I did that in Africa, I would draw a scale in the dirt or something like that. And then when we got to putting the one bad deed, I would say, well, put one bad deed on the other side now. You got all your good stuff over here. Put one on the other side, and I'd erase it and put the scale down. Boom. Just like that. All the way down. All it takes one. In fact, before you even get to that one, I would say, you got a heart that is already sinful. So before you even commit that first bad deed, you're already, like Jesus said in John 3:18, he that believeth not is condemned. We can't get there, can't get righteousness, the righteousness of God, by our good actions. Those things we call righteousness, but we call them self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is not going to cut it with God. It has to be that true righteousness. Why? Because no amount of good deeds will ever outweigh the bad, sinful actions. Romans 6, 23 <clears throat> says that the wages of sin is death. Good deeds aren't going to be enough to pay that penalty off. No way. And then Isaiah 64, 6 adds that all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That's what the ESP says, like a polluted garment. Another translation says they're like filthy rags. All of this good stuff, this self-righteous stuff that we do, it just doesn't, this isn't what Jesus is talking about here at all. I remember when my wife first came to the Lord, we talked about this this last week. When she came to the Lord, we were both in our 20s. We had dated for a couple of years. We had been married for about five years. When she came to the Lord, I remember her like a week after she came to the Lord and actually put her faith and trust in Christ and received his righteousness. I remember her saying, but all of that stuff I've been doing has got to count for something. <laughs> and I don't remember how I answered her, but she had the right answer the other day. So somewhere between then and now, she got the right answer. I think within a couple of weeks she got it. She got it pretty quick, actually. No, we can have a box or a bag or whatever you got, an angel on your shoulder. I don't know, maybe he's up there calling for more paper because he's writing down all of these good deeds that you're doing. He's going to cut it. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about true righteousness. 
Our hearts are sinful and needs to be changed. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Jesus is talking today about practicing our righteousness. That means both being and doing things in a way that please God. So how can we do that? How can we live a righteous life? Well, Jesus did it. He lived that perfect life. Remember when we studied that he was born of a virgin? He came into the world without sin. He lived a perfect life. That's what that verse said in 517. He came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He lived it all out and kept it perfectly. Hebrews says that. When we looked at Hebrews, we saw that Christ was the one who kept it perfectly and never sinned. So, it, you know, if we could just have his righteousness, we'd have it, wouldn't we? If we could have Christ's righteousness, the good news is we can. We can have Christ's righteousness. He makes it available to us. When we reach out for salvation by faith, all kinds of things happen at that instant that we receive salvation. And one of them is that we receive the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ. Now, is our righteousness better than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? Like my neighbor loves to say, you betcha. That's a Michigan Michiganism, I guess. You betcha. We have Christ's righteousness. That's better than what the Pharisees had and the scribes. Yeah. So, uh, talking with my wife, it reminded me so much of Paul the Apostle's experience. I'm going to go over there once. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through, nine, 4 through 9. If I can find it here a minute. In Philippians, Paul is talking about his experience. It just seems so parallel to what my wife's experience was when uh, we were talking about it earlier this week. So actually, in the end of verse 3, he says, I put no confidence in the flesh. Listen to this. This is Paul's, what we call his Jewish jewels sometimes. He's getting up here and saying what's in his bag or what the angel on his shoulder wrote down. I don't believe there's an angel in him, by the way. <laughs> Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. His bag is fuller than my bag. <laughs> yeah. He says, uh, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. You know, that's the people of God. The tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, blameless. Uh, yeah, a Pharisee. We're talking about them. He was one of them. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. He took all those things, those good self-righteous things, and put them in the trash. We would say, set it out by the curb, let the, dump, let the garbage truck take it away, bury it in the landfill. And that day, they had a garbage dump, too, and it was constantly on fire, and they threw it out there, and it got burned up. Well, get it out of here. It doesn't count for anything. Why? In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. 
That's that self-righteousness that comes from all of these things done by ourselves. But the one that comes, not of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's the righteousness that we need. That's the righteousness that Jesus is talking about when he's talking here in today's text. So you see the difference here, what Paul was saying between his self-righteous stuff that was to be thrown away and the true righteousness that he received from God by faith. And when I put my faith in Christ alone and what he's done for me, God also changes my heart. He gives me that new heart. I remember Chris talking about that. Takes out the heart of stone, gives us his new heart. This heart has his laws written on it. What does that mean? That means this heart wants to do what God wants me to do. That's what Jesus is going to talk about here today. Going out and sharing with the needy is something that comes with that new heart. Not that other people don't do it, but they can do it in that self-righteous way, trying to please God with their actions. When we have that new heart, we find that God leads us to get out and share the things that we have and help the needy and stuff, and it's coming from our heart because we love him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, by, the great, by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. A gift is something I receive at a point in time. When I receive God's gifts of salvation, it's not like a process that kind of happens. It does have a completion that will happen. Salvation is a continuing process in that sin sense, but it starts at a point in time. Listen to this verse from Romans 5:17. It adds here, for because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of what? The free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. When Adam sinned, it happened at a point in time. God said, don't eat from the tree. He ate from the tree. At that point in time, what happened? Death reigned. God had said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And he did die. He died spiritually. You know, we've been running into people lately as we've been talking to them who say, I didn't realize that, that the Bible says we're all born dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. A dead, our spiritual nature is dead in the sense that it cannot connect with God. We talk about having a relationship with God. Can't do that when we're dead. This is what happened when Adam trespassed. That death passed on to all of us. And so we're all born with that deadness in spirit that has to be brought alive. That's what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about in chapter 3 of John when he said, you must be born again. What? How can I be born again? Well, you've got to be born of the Spirit. It's a spiritual birth. That's how we become alive. Well, let's go then to, back to Matthew 6, 1 and read it again and start here with what Jesus is teaching today. Well, Matthew 6, 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So this verse introduces us to that section that's going to follow for the next few weeks here. Verse 2 goes on to say, when you give to the needy, 
That's followed in verse 5 by when you pray. And in verse 16, when you fast. Verse 1 here is introducing us to these various things that are ways of our righteousness being lived out before other people. All these three things that he's talking about here, when you pray, when you fast, and today's subject, when you give to the needy, all these were part of the Jewish religion. They were commanded by the law of Moses. And in Jesus' day, the people he was talking to there, they would have seen these kinds of things going on every day all around them. And you see it as you read through the New Testament. Remember the Pharisee that went up to the temple to pray and prayed, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I fast twice a week. That's what was going on. They were working these kind of things out. A lot of it was the, that self-righteousness in the case of the Pharisees. People were seeing all of this kind of stuff. And Jesus is talking here about things that were very familiar to them. We're not very familiar with fasting. Probably some of us are, some not. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But this is part of it. So today we want to look at how we should give to the needy. I'll tell you what I've got here. Point number one, what's wrong with the way we help the needy? What's the wrong way? Point number two is what's the right way? Point number three, what will be the result of giving properly to the needy? Remember what I said? Jesus got it laid out here. It's all just as clear as can be. It's all laid out. What's the right way of giving to the needy and what will be the result? In other words, what's the bottom line? Finally, I want to talk just for a few minutes about some practical suggestions. I've been preparing this message and talking to different people about it through the past few weeks. And a lot of people, they got involved right away and started telling me all kinds of ways. I don't know if they're ways that they had done it or ways that they had heard or ways they thought of. And... Uh, a lot of those things I kind of took, took down that, so I can give you a few practical suggestions on how we might live out this uh, teaching of Jesus in living out our righteousness. So, point number one starts in verse two. What's the wrong way to give to the needy? Let's read the verse again. Matthew 6, verse two says, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet, before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. He's already told us in verse 1 not to be doing things to be seen by others. Here he adds this thing about the trumpet. Now, there doesn't seem to be any record of that. We can go back, look at what the commentators say. doesn't seem to be a record of anybody getting up there and, you know, I'm going to blow my horn so that you all come and look at what I'm doing. I'm going to give some money to the needy here or something. Uh, kind of entered into our culture too, hasn't it? Never heard about us talk about somebody tooting their own horn? Yeah. What does that mean? Probably comes from this verse. Does it mean somebody who likes to tell others about all the good things that they've done? You see, it's pretty much the same idea. In the Bible, Jesus was talking about people that blew a horn so that everybody would come and look. When we say he's tooting his own horn, kind of the other way around. He's trying to have everybody see the good things that he's done, and he's telling them all about it. Uh, that's the wrong way. What's wrong with that? Well, it comes from wrong motives. It comes from a wrong heart attitude. It comes from pride. Remember what I said, true righteousness is both being and doing 
what's right by God's standards. Wrong motives don't cut it. They don't cut it with God. The scribes and the Pharisees were doing things that looked good, but it's like they were putting on an act. It wasn't from a right heart. Look back at what Chris taught last week. Remember last week he was finishing up chapter 5 and the last verse, verse 48 in chapter 5 reads, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's where we end it. There's no chapter break in the original, no break in Christ's teaching. He said that just before he flowed right down into today's teaching. What does that mean? Being perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. The idea here is not sinless perfection, but maturity as Christians. Think being complete, mature, or grown up as Christians, coming to maturity in, in our Christian walk. What does that mean? It means we're called to be like Jesus, doesn't it? Maturity in our Christian life is looking more and more like Jesus. That's what we're called to. He's the one who came and showed us what the Father is like. If we're called to be like the Father, Jesus showed us what the Father is like. He's calling us to be more and more like Jesus. That kind of perfection, not sinless perfection, but perfection, growth in our spiritual walk with the Lord that's coming to maturity, to completion. So can you imagine Jesus helping the needy in order to make a show of it? I mean, we would be repelled by the idea or the thought that Jesus would be doing the stuff he was doing just to make a show of it. So when he says to us, don't you do that, and we're being told to be like him, you see that, how it fits together? Being like Jesus, got no room for that kind of putting on a show, doing it to be seen of others. In Matthew 6, 2, it ends with Jesus talking about the reward that they're looking for. And he says, if you're doing it for the praise of men, you're going to get a reward. The reward you're going to get is the praise of men. And that's all you get. Uh, they're missing out on God's rewards. And his rewards are far better. We're going to talk about that a little later. Keep that in mind. You want the reward of men saying, wow, look at that guy, look at what he did, look at how he helped the needy. Or do you want the rewards that come from God? We'll talk about it a little bit later. Keep that in the back of your mind that uh, we are going to talk about rewards. Just talked about it a little bit last week too. Okay, so how does Jesus tell his listeners to give to the needy the right way? Point number two is let's go back and look at verse three and the first part of verse four. What's the right way to give to the needy? It says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. I think we've heard that one in our culture sometimes too. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Is that possible? They're still connected up here, aren't they? I think there's a wider meaning to that, not just the self-explanatory explanation that Jesus is giving here, when you give, give in secret. Give it in ways that are not so obvious to people. 
But beyond that, when he says your left hand, your right hand, I think what he's pointing out is we're one of the people. We need to be thinking about ourselves. When we do our righteousness, when we practice it, when we're giving to the needy, sometimes we'll do it in a nice way that kind of keeps it secret, it keeps it obvious to other people, but who takes note of it? Me. And I'm holding on to it. And I'm saying, yeah, I did something really good there. And the pride can start to well up inside of us. And what happens? Eventually, it'll find a way out. Or eventually, it's going to pollute our heart with pride. And that'll start to find its way out. We need to be guarding against that uh, tendency that we have to keep track of it on our own. So how do we do that? How do we guard against that tendency to maybe keep it quiet from others, but hang on to it ourselves and keep a record of what we were doing? If we start in our giving, we can't help everybody. That's a given. There's so many needs out there, we can't help everybody. So how do we start? We start in prayer. We start by asking God, Lord, show me. I want to help other people, but I need you to show me who to help, what to do to help them, how and when to help them, so that if he's guiding me through this, he will show me the right place to start, who to help, how to help them, when to help them, so that I can do it in a way that will please him. This kind of thing is going to help to keep us from keeping that record and holding on to it ourselves and starting to think of it as a self-righteous act and keeping it in that area of doing it in the right way. It helps us to keep our focus on God and keep it off ourselves. When we can see what we're doing as God's work, and see ourselves as simply his hands and feet, we're starting to get things in the, right, in the right flow here. That comes out of asking him how to do it, who to help, how to help them, when to help them, and see it's really him helping them. Hey, he gave us everything that we have, everything that we are. It all came from him. If he asks for a little bit of it back, let's give it in the right way in the way that's going to please him. And then we can see ourselves as working along with him, as doing what he's doing. He's actually the one doing it. We're coming back again into something that I, I can't get away from. The Lord has used it to revolutionize my life. That first commandment principle of loving God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And out of that flows the love for our neighbor as ourselves. This giving to the needy fits right into that. As I walk with God, putting him first in my life, and this love relationship with him has that first priority, giving to the needy is like an automatic part of that loving my neighbor as myself. And that takes me away from thinking about, I did this, I'm back into thinking, God is doing this through me, I'm working on building this relationship with him and seeing him, and I see him as the one who's actually reaching out to help the needy and doing it with me as his hands and feet and mouth, whatever he wants to use. 
So it's his love flowing through us, and it's his blessing going through us to someone else. That can lead us to praise and worship him for the awesome God that he is. We did some of that this morning. I enjoy that when we sit and get up here and worship. It doesn't matter whether we've got a band or not. If your heart is in it, and you can say, God, you are awesome. And I love to do it together with other people. But sometimes it's good, even when you can't do that, do it on your own at home. I love to get on the computer, especially if my wife's not home. Put on the earphones, put on some worship music and start singing. And I told somebody the other day, I think they can hear me on the sidewalk on the other side of the street sometime when I start singing at the top of my lungs when she's not home. That's why I like to do it when she's not home. But if she's home, I can mouth the words and she doesn't mind if I sing as long as it's not two in the morning or something like that. Yeah, when we start to focus on God and give him the worship and the praise, it takes it out of that realm of thinking, wow, I did something pretty good and keeping track of it, you know. That's that pride that's coming up. Worship God and focus on him takes us away from that. So let's go on to the bottom line. What's the bottom line in all of this? Well, in our passage, the bottom line is actually the bottom line. Verse 4, the bottom line is, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's the bottom line. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, so we're going to do this so we get rewards, right? No, wrong. We're going to do this because of our love for Jesus and that relationship we have with him. But the thing about God is he is so generous. He is so loving to reward us and to, to give us blessings and things. It's like he can't help himself. I don't know how else to put it. God, we're not doing this for the rewards, but you can't help but showering them down on us. You know? That's the bottom line. The result of giving properly to the needy is that our Father who sees in secret will reward us. Count on it. He sees and he'll reward us, not that we help the needy in order to get his reward, but it's just because God is so good and kind and generous. I said earlier that we can't help everybody. Jesus in Matthew 26, 11 says, you always have the poor with you. And he's referring back to Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. Now, this is part of your homework for this week. Did you get it? Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. That's the passage where Jesus was quoting from when he said, you're always going to have the uh, poor with you. So I'm not going to take time to read it. I'm not going to have it put up here necessarily. Just skim down through here. He's talking about uh, Moses is talking to the people before his death and he's telling them, reviewing for them the things that are in the law. And he says, you're not to harden your heart or shut your hand against your brother. Your eye is not to look grudgingly on your poor brother and give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this... The, this is the blessing part. For this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Did you get that? For this, the Lord will, your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. 
hey, I'd rather have that blessing, I'd rather have that reward than the one of having people see me and say, wow, look at that, he did some good stuff. Much more valuable reward, isn't it? That's the kind of stuff that God gives us. It's that sense of well-being that comes. It's that sense of, I love being a Christian. This life just is so much better than the life I used to live when I was living in sin and in my addictions and all that kind of stuff. What I've got today, this is what we share in 70 times 7 with the people who come through as participants. Because Satan has used this lie on so many of us that, yeah, if I become a Christian, especially if I sell out to Christ, it's going to be an awful boring life. Not true. And we tell them that, don't we, Al? We sit there and we say, hey, we didn't know it either. But now that we've gotten into it, we found out the Christian life is full of fun and joy and satisfaction so much better. This is, hey, I like that kind of reward. This is the reward that God is giving us. As we get into doing it his way, he rewards us that kind of way. We can't help everybody, but God tells us to be generous, giving freely, and he'll reward us with those kind of rewards. Okay, that's part of your homework is Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. Go back, read it over, and you'll see principles in there on giving. Okay, the other part of your homework is going to be from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Again, we're not going to put them up here. I know we don't have time. Just skim over a couple of things here. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul and his associates are getting together a gift. The people down in Jerusalem, the Christians down there, are having problems and they need some help. So Paul and his associates are up in the provinces, the Roman provinces, and they're talking to the Christians in the churches there about getting together a gift to send down to the Christians in Jerusalem. And that's why I'd like you to read this because it's all about exactly what we're talking about today. Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. But there's some neat stuff in here, especially in chapter 8. He's talking about these people. He says their extreme poverty, that's who they were. They didn't have much. In fact, he calls it not just poverty, but extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Hey, anybody else have a tight budget? These people had a tight budget. I mean, really tight. Not only were they tight in their budget, but they wanted to go way beyond anything that they could afford. So what did they do? He says here they gave of themselves first to the Lord. I don't know exactly what that means, but when I thought about it, I thought, okay, they gave of themselves first to the Lord. Okay, maybe that means they started to pray, and they were praying that day and others would be able to give for this gift. Maybe they went down the street to the farmer down the road and said, hey, can I work for you so I can earn a little bit extra money? I want to have my part in this gift that's going to the Christians in Jerusalem, and I don't have the money. I want to earn something specifically. Maybe they were praying and asking God, God, will you give me something so I have something to give? Have you ever done that? We learned about that when we were in Bible school. It's called faith promise giving. You ever hear of faith promise giving? It's where we reach out to God by faith and say, if you give me something special to give, then I promise that I will give it. I may not have anything to give, but I can reach out to him and he 
send something in, and I usually pray if we're going to do this, God make it clear that this is what it's for. And he does it. Put God to the test and say, God, like these people, they wanted to give something to the needy, their needy brothers and sisters in Christ down in Jerusalem. They were in extreme poverty. I don't know how they did it. It says they gave themselves first to the Lord, and he helped them come up with something so they could have their part in the gift. Read through 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9, and you'll see some really neat things that happened in this whole process, things that can help us in our giving. Well, finally, I'd like to talk to you about a couple little things that I have found out now is over the past few weeks as I've been talking about this to other people, various people gave me suggestions. I don't know if it's stuff that they did, stuff they had seen other do, other people do. It's just kind of suggestions that they made on how we can actually help the needy. I mean, the first and obvious way is with money. Money is always a way of helping the needy. Not the only way, but it is more or less the only way if we're talking about our brothers and sisters, like that gift they were getting together for Jerusalem. It had to be money. If we're talking about, for example, the persecuted church on the other side of the world, those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They've got needs today. I mean real needs. And when people talk to them about their needs, you know what they almost invariably say? First thing they ask for is prayer. They don't ask for money. They ask for prayer. So get involved with the persecuted church. You can do it through Voice of the Martyrs. You can do it through another organization called ICC, International Christian Concern. Both of those are ones that can give you a lot of information on what's going on today in the persecuted church in a lot of countries maybe you haven't even thought about in a long time. But our brothers and sisters are in need and they'll, they need our prayer and that's what they ask for. If the Lord leads you, again, remember we said, if you're gonna give, can't give to everybody, start out by asking him. Who do I give to? What do I give? How do I give it? As he leads you, if you're led in giving to help the persecuted church, it can go through organizations like this. Samaritan's Purse, another one run by Billy Graham's son, Franklin, doing a lot of work with the needy people all over the world, especially when there are wars and national disasters and things like that. Um, they're working in the Ukraine. They have hospitals that they bring in there hospital tents that they set up to help people, things like that. You can have a part in that by giving, but check out the organization, make sure it's a good organization. A good organization should be given probably 85% more or less of what they take in to the need that they're calling for funds for. So we can get involved in a lot of that kind of stuff, and those are the kind of things that we do with money. But other ways, that we can do, especially right here in our little corner of the world. Um, a lot of people don't have a car. You realize what a big blessing it is to people if you offer to drive them to the grocery store when they don't have a car of their own? Next time you're wheeling your grocery cart out of the store, imagine having to carry those home as you walk, or on a bicycle, or while you're riding the bus. It's a real blessing to offer to help people in that kind of way. I got a car. I'll give of my time and my 
resources to help somebody who's in need. Maybe they need a part for their car. I don't know, maybe their car is broken down. Uh, then there's other things we can do. You're a mom living at home and you say, well, I can't do that kind of stuff. I can't drive people around. I got these kids to take care of. So you're probably already doing it. You're helping people, making meals for them when they have a baby or when somebody's sick in their house or when somebody dies. But think of that and take it a step further. What if, when you had a little extra time, you prepared a meal and put it in the freezer? And you know a mom that's got a couple of those little kids that every once in a while is going to have one of those days where everything goes wrong, kids are sick and everything like that. You realize what a blessing that would be for her to have a meal in the freezer she can take out and defrost or put it in the microwave and set it on the table tonight? Oh, never thought about that. It's just taking and letting God work in your mind to show you things that you can do right where you are with the resources you have that can be a tremendous blessing. I can imagine that mom, you come up and say to her, I got a meal that I prepared and put in the freezer. Could I give it to you for some time when you really need a meal and everything's going wrong? She might say, you do that for me? You know, put yourself in her shoes once and think, Wow, I didn't think I was one of the needy, and a lot of times the needy don't look like the needy because they're not necessarily the poor. They're the needy, and needy people come from all different parts of society. Needy people come from within the church. Needy people are outside of the church, and the neat thing is that as we do what Jesus is telling us here and practice our righteousness among those he leads us to, it opens opportunities to share the gospel. And we can tell them what he's done in our lives. We could tell them what we were talking about earlier, how God wants to give them his righteousness, how God has changed our lives around, like we do with 70 times 7 guys. Say, you can't imagine it. You have to take it by faith that this is what happens. When you bring Jesus into your life, you get a life that is worth living. Those kind of things, you have those open doors that will show up. As we're sharing with the needy, this is one of the, the ways that we can do that. We can pray for people. You ever think about praying for people over the phone? That takes all the work and the time out of it. First time I heard somebody pray with somebody over the phone, I thought, hmm, that's kind of crazy. But try it. Try it sometime if you've never done it before. People usually are very happy if you're willing to pray with them especially if they're going through some difficult times. Be willing to give people time to pray with them and even do it over the phone. Oh, there's all kinds of things that we can do. It's skills that we have. Maybe you know how to use the computer and use your phone, and there are people out there that don't know how to do that. They'd love to have you sit down with them and spend a few minutes and show them a little bit more about how to use their devices. I can talk because I'm one of that generation. There are people out there that have come out of prison or something like that that are looking for a job. They need some help drawing up a resume. They need some help practicing for an interview. Some of those kinds of things, practical ways of helping people right where they've got the greatest need. Things that you can do. You can help people move. You can help people with home repairs, car repairs. The minute I mention that stuff, you're thinking, yeah, but if I did that, next thing they're going to keep coming back and back and back and I'll be so busy. Well you're allowed to say no. We're talking here about walking in the Spirit, being guided by God's Spirit. When we're praying and asking God who to give to and how and all that, we're expecting the Spirit to guide us. 
as we walk in the Spirit, He'll lead us to say no. And we can do it without feeling guilty. When you're walking in the Spirit, you can say no without feeling guilty. A couple things that came up that people said, don't let your emotions guide you. Yeah. A lot of us do that. I had stories told to me about people. It's not me, it's my wife. She gets emotionally involved. (laughs) Yeah. Try to avoid pleasing people. We can get so busy pleasing people, trying to do our works of righteousness. Just, uh, that's that wrong way again, isn't it? Yeah. Remember that everyone's greatest need is the need to receive Christ's righteousness and salvation. We cannot please God without his righteousness, but neither can those around us. There are those who need to get to know Jesus. And as we're working with people and sharing to help them with their needs, don't forget to share with them what God wants to do for them, what he's done in your life and what he wants to do in theirs. I still remember Britain preaching on everyday disciples. Some of those principles are still with me. Can you remember it? We're out living our lives, going to work and stuff like that, but don't ever forget, we're disciples. We go about doing good, helping the needy, but we're also sharing Christ with them. As we sang the songs this morning, there was one line that stood out to me. It said, you're sending us out light in this broken land. As we go out and practice our righteousness by sharing with the needy, we are light in a very broken land. I'm going to close with a song. I don't know if you've heard this song before. I was surprised when I ran it by a few people this morning. I didn't think that they knew it. God gives us joy in the Christian life, especially as we help the needy. And this little song is a joyful little song. It came to me as I was working on this message, and it kind of got stuck in my mind. So I'm going to sing it. If you know it, sing along. If you don't know it, you can listen, and we'll sing it again a second time. In fact, I think we even found the words I got the words up here. It goes like this. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Filled with the Holy Ghost I am. All my sins are washed away. I've been redeemed. Now join in. We're going to sing it again. Here we go. I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Filled with the Holy Ghost I am. All my sins are washed away. I've been redeemed. Okay, that's enough. There's all kinds of verses to it. Pull them up on your, on your phone if you want and keep singing it this week. I think we've got one more song to close yet. We're going to change it up. Um, while we do the last song, we're going to invite the prayer team up. And um, also, uh, Dennis and I are going to be up here and we're going to We've talked about this a little bit, but if, if anyone is looking for any kind of healing, we, we want to pray for you, okay? 
um, whether it's physical or spiritual or mentally or whatever. Um, we're called to do that. Um, I'm not, I don't want to say we're not expecting results, okay? <laughs> That's, anyways, we're going to, if anyone wants a prayer, we'll pray. Um, and we'll see what God does. And uh, ultimately, it's for his glory and his, his praise is, is for that. With that, I want to share the benediction, then we'll do the song and pray. It comes from Revelation chapter 1. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God the Father and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I have something to add to this. My name is Daniel. I'm an elder here also with Jack. And um, the Lord put 10 of you on my heart this morning. That's um, the Decrider boys, the Kuiper kids, the, don't tell me your last name, guys, Jeff and Lindsay's boys. What's your last name again? Confara, thank you. And the Beetham boys. All our, you guys are all, I think, in like middle school, high school, elementary. And I really think the Lord wants you guys all to know that your church loves you, wants to bless you, is for you, and this is all because God loves you, is with you, is for you, and is sending you guys to your schools to be bright lights. And so, in addition to 